Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is, it's not Monday, but it's Sunday, March the 20th, 2022. And uh, I'm beginning my week on a Sunday this week. And as you know, I always begin the week with a meeting with Jimmy Sexton, founded the Esquire Group, who is based in Dubai. And we continue our discussion of the lessons in that great book, Charles Adams, for good and evil. How are you today, Jimmy? I'm fantastic, John. Nice to speak with you again. I always uh, happily anticipate our beginning of the week calls where we get to exercise our intellectual brains talking about uh, such an interesting topic, at, at least for a couple of tax nerds like, like us. It is an incredibly interesting topic. I mean, you know, we're not talking about taxation. We're talking about history. And the That's moment, true. We are. Uh, you know, how this kind of legislation, to use the language of Charles Adams, contributes to the rise and the fall of civilizations. And I, boy, I can see that going on, I'll tell you. So Absolutely. last week, the word evasion was introduced. We talked about as taxes increase, evasion increases. And uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because uh, our discussion last week, you know, and yeah, we may have talked about evasion a bit, but I think we talked a little more about the whole avoidance thing, didn't we? And, yeah, I mean, I think, I think avoidance um, is probably much more rampant today than, than evasion. I think evasion has largely been been stomped out through uh, information sharing agreements and and um, you know the eradication of of financial privacy right through things like FATCA and, and CRS. Now, that, now that's relatively new stuff, and I think it's it's probably worth a reminder to both of us and to any listeners that. You know, what brings us together is this great Charles Adams book, which was published in the early 90s and apparently was researched for 20 years. So, you know, his perspective was largely informed by the 50-year period, or, well, or the 20-year period that ended 30 years ago. So I wonder if these things, you know, really mean the same thing. And, uh, you know, you talk about evasion is being largely eroded by information exchange. Boy, in those days, there was no information exchange, was there? No, I mean, look, I mean, if we look back 30 years ago, I mean, hell, if we look back, you know, 15 years ago, um, I think that that you could have argued that, that evasion was very rampant in that, you know, you could still have a Swiss bank account as, uh, you know, numbered account with no name attached to it or hidden in some sort of a shell company. I mean, a lot of people have, you know, Panamanian companies with secret bank accounts. So I think evasion um, was much more rampant back then uh, because it was much easier, right? Uh, there was no way to get found out. Whereas avoidance takes a lot more effort you know, to do it, to do it legally. Well, it takes a lot more money. I mean, most people can't do that without, you know, without expensive professional help. Um, you get the feeling though, that at least 
you know, you read the sort of mainstream media that a lot of people actually equate avoidance to evasion. I mean, you know, so Warren Buffett doesn't pay a lot of taxes. Is he a tax evader? No, he's a ta- he's a he's, he's a tax avoider. I mean, look, I think as you know, in in, in my business, um, is 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 helping high net worth individuals, you know, protect their assets and and when possible reduce their taxes. For Americans, that's nearly impossible, but for the rest of the world, there's still a lot that that can be done. And I think that the the big difference is that you look back 15, 30 years ago, when this book was written, it was a matter of taking a trip over to Switzerland, opening up a numbered account at the bank, and then just figuring out a way to get the money there, right? Or the same in, in, in Panama, there was no you know, you didn't really, you weren't really concerned about the legalities of it. You were just concerned about not getting caught. You didn't really need any professional help. You kind of do it on your own. It was, was, was very sort of cost effective, right? Whereas to set anything up nowadays, because of all the information sharing, because of, of the erosion of, of bank secrecy, you have to have a very complex legal structure in place in order to be able to legally save on taxes and, and accomplish avoidance. So I, I do think that, you know, there was much less avoidance when this book was written and much more evasion because it was much more, much easier. Uh, and I think it's kind of shifted. You know, this is a very interesting uh, perspective that you're offering. What you're really saying I think is that in the early 90s, evasion was just a lot easier than legitimate avoidance. Is that right? Yeah. And now? Well, now that evasion isn't an option, <laughs> um, you need to do it legally and you have to put the, the legal structures and things in place in order to be able to accomplish it. So what, what I would say is that you know, people generally take the path of least resistance to save on taxes, right? And before, uh, that was evasion. Uh, and, 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 I, I, and I believe, you know, it was, a, was much more rampant 15, 20 years ago. But now that the penalties are, are so high and the likelihood of getting caught is so high, um, you know, avoidance is sort of... Um, become a game of the the uber wealthy because they're the only ones that can afford to legally put it in place and and, and benefit from it. Well, also, um, it seems to me that an aspect of avoidance that is very much in the public domain now, but wasn't 30 years ago, was the whole idea of severing tax residency, right? Uh, you know, buying new citizenships, uh, you know, or acquiring a, you know, a second permanent residence, et cetera. I mean, I do not recall, you know, 30 years ago, uh, I mean, maybe it was there, but I don't, I don't recall, you know, all this discussion about, uh, you know, let's get a second passport or plan B or, you know, all these things that, that we see now, right? Well, I mean, look, one of the trends that you can see in, in, in sort of the, the international tax industry is, you know, if we go back to the evasion days, right, we go back, say, 20 years ago, 
Um, because the likelihood of getting caught from doing evasion was so low, people didn't really bother to move, right? They could have, they'd sort of have their cake and eat it too. They'd stay in the United States or they'd stay in high tax Germany or wherever it was. And then they'd go hide their funds in, 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 you know, Switzerland or Liechtenstein or something like that. Well, what's happened is the tax codes have, have, have the enforcement of the tax codes because of information sharing and all this stuff has gotten so good that you just can't live in your home country and then keep your money somewhere else, right? Like if you really want to protect your assets and reap the tax benefits, you got to go somewhere else. You got to go, you got to move someplace that's tax advantage. You can't sort of have your cake and eat it too anymore. And so it, I think in order to facilitate that, um, you know, residencies and citizenships have become a necessity so that people can access these, the, the benefits of, of low tax jurisdictions. Well, and this, you know, brings us back to this problem of U.S. citizenship. I mean, do you, uh, do you anticipate that renunciations of U.S. citizenship are going to continue their growth? Well, we'll see. I mean, I think, I think, um, I think what's interesting is this. I think the numbers are actually down at the moment, but I think that that has more to do with the fact that you can't get an appointment to expatriate than it does with the fact that there aren't, you know, people wanting to expatriate. Um, this is certainly something that I've seen with my clients, right? I mean, there's, there's, a, there's kind of a, a backlog. It's been, you know, the last two years, it's been nearly impossible to get an appointment to expatriate. Um, now you can start getting appointments again, but the wait times are much longer. So I, I, I think that, you know, hopefully, I mean, once things kind of get back to normal in the in embassies, I think we're going to see a big uptick. And yeah, I, I mean, I do think, I mean, look, I know a lot of my clients um, who have been sort of holding on to their U.S. citizenship because it's been tolerable tax-wise. Uh, are, are now saying, get, you know, we're going to give it up. And, you know, especially with amongst my clientele, you know, I have a lot of um, clients where the, the parents, there's wealthy parents that are not U.S. citizens. And, you know, one or more of the children are. And, oh you know, now, now, now the parents are, are older, right? And so there's the, the, the risk that they die in, in the next decade, is, is relatively high. And now a lot of these kids are going, okay, you know, I've kind of held on to this U.S. citizenship as long as I could, but now the risks are too high. I just need to get rid of it because, you know, if I inherit, you know, this conglomerate of companies as a U.S. citizen, it's, it's going to be a nightmare. Well, it means that unless they, unless uh, they're a dual citizen from birth and that option still exists, I mean, they, they're locked into it. They can't escape it without a yeah, I mean, look, a lot of mine, a lot of mine were dual citizens at birth, um, but the the issue is one of taxes, right? I mean, if you, it, I mean, especially here in the Middle East, right? I mean, you might in, inherit, you know, fifty percent of twenty foreign corporations that are all generating various types of income. Um, and I mean, even if you're willing to pay the tax, just the, the compliance on that is yeah, the complexity is, is too much. It's too much. Yeah, you know, it, it seems to me that the only 
people who are the only Americans who will not be affected by this are the ones of very, very modest means. Agreed. You know, the wealthy Americans, I think, uh, really, really need to get this get this issue on their radar. I mean, particularly with this discussion of things like wealth taxes. I mean, I know that the bullet has been dodged for the moment, but the problem, as you know, with these things is that, you know, they get into the public discussion and somebody drafts a bill and then they, they incubate for a while and sooner or later, sure. revenue offset provision, you know, yeah. wake up to some massive wealth tax or something. So it's, you know, it's, it's a huge, huge problem. Um, you know, but I mean, in the context of avoidance, you know, the last couple of days I've been reading and, you know, I must say, I did not know about as much about this as I wished I had earlier, but, you know, the situation of, uh, you know, having created Puerto Rico, for example, and, you know, territories and possessions is essentially the only real tax havens for American citizens. Right? Yeah, that's true. So I wonder about the future of those programs. What do you think? Well, and John, I want to interrupt for one second because I think this is a, a, a perfect time to introduce today's lesson because we haven't done that yet. Um, and that's le lesson 16, which is once tax evasion becomes deeply rooted, it is almost impossible to root out. And I think going along with what we were talking about last week is, you know, we might want to swap out avoidance for evasion and, and read it as once tax avoidance becomes deeply rooted, it is almost impossible to root out because I think it's more applicable to today. And then going back to your question about Puerto Rico, um, look, since Puerto Rico made this, this law change, I forget how long ago, I mean, it's got to be, what, 10 years now. Um, that they've really sort of started advertising this. Um, there's been more and more people that are interested in it, right? I mean, it's booming. I mean, I, I read an article not so long ago that was saying that like average Puerto Ricans can't even afford to like live or, 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 or go out to eat in any place near the ocean, basically, because there's so many wealthy people that have, that have moved there and bought up high-end properties and, and, and now all the high-end restaurants and everything else that these um, high-end residents expect are all moving in there and it's, it's making it very challenging for you know local Puerto Ricans to live there and I think that just goes to show that lesson 16 um, is, is true right I mean the, the boom of this tax haven now I don't know I mean I'm certain that the U.S. will want to root it out but I'm not 100% sure. I'm not an expert on the, the Puerto Rico thing. I don't know how difficult that is to do legally. Seems to be uh, manageable if you got the right counsel. I mean, there's there's industries, literally, that uh, have been created around this type of thing. Uh, you know, you have to meet the bona fide residence test and things like that. No, what, I meant, what, what I meant was, I don't know how difficult it would be for the U.S. to end this special tax treatment that you can get in Puerto Rico and abolish this program? I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, I, I mean, on one level you can say, well, you know, all it takes is an act of Congress to change it. But I mean, there are, there are clearly political considerations involved. I mean, it's not like there aren't, 
there's a sizable contingent of people from Puerto Rico who vote in the United States, et cetera. But you know, I was watching a discussion of this last night and uh, by Peter Paulson of Cross Taxon. He you know, made a few very interesting points. He just thought it'd be politically very difficult, you know, to get this to get this uh, changed. And and you know, that's to your point uh, that uh, you know, once tax avoidance and to that I would the mentality into that I would add the the mechanisms to do that, you know, become entrenched. Yeah, I think it's very difficult to get rid of the stuff. And, and you know, and you know what, what's interesting, and this isn't, I don't even know if you would call this avoidance, but it builds on something that I've mentioned to you last week about, you know, people being so fed up with paying taxes and not wanting to give it in the government that sometimes they'll spend more to avoid it than the actual tax would, would have cost. And I had um, a meeting yesterday with a very wealthy individual who is moving to the United States. Um, and, you know, his, his plan basically is to take his money, you know, he's, he's an older, older, older gentleman and he's just going to, you know, kind of take his cash with him and, and then just live off of savings, right? So uh, he's got more than enough to, to make it. And so we were, you know, we were kind of talking about it and I mentioned to him, you know, he asked if he could take his money to the U.S. and just put it in the bank to make interest. And I said, well, well, sure, you know, you can do that. The interest will be taxed. And he goes, well, I'll just put it in an account that doesn't make any earn any interest. And I said, well, look, I mean, even if you pay the tax, uh, you still wind up with more money than you had if, if you didn't earn any interest. And he goes, yeah, I'd rather not have the money and not give it to the government. You know, I mean, this guy's a non-American. His, his family's all American. He's very familiar with it. But I think this is this is the mentality today that people are so fed up with taxes and are so fed up with the fiscal irresponsibility of governments that even when it's to their own detriment, they just don't want to give the government any money. They're just uh, offended and appalled by the by the notion of it. Well, I think a vast part of it, but I also would imagine, I mean, it sounds to me like you're talking about a senior citizen here, an older. Yeah, I mean, look, this, this, guy's, a, this guy's a senior senior citizen with double digits millions. Like, I mean, he's, well, he's never- I mean, if you spent a lifetime filing tax returns somewhere, I mean, to him and to not ever file a tax return is worth, is priceless, right? For sure. You know, it's like, uh, how about maybe we put it this way, okay? Um, uh, for some people, uh, fi filing, not having to file a tax return is priceless. For everything else, there's tax accountants. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, an old MasterCard app, but I, I can understand that too. But, but, I, I, I do, but I do think 16, less than 16, if you flip-flop it around and you say, not flip-flop around, but you swap of, of, of avoidance for evasion. Once tax evasion becomes deeply rooted, it is almost impossible to root out. Do, do you think that, that that's happening today, that it's deeply rooted? Avoidance? Yeah. Oh, my God. Is it deeply rooted? Jesus. I mean, there, there, there's full-time writers of the Wall Street Journal, some really great ones, like Laura Saunders, for example. Taxes. I mean, yeah, like, exactly. Know, tax, tax avoid, tax under. I don't know. 
I wouldn't call it tax avoidance, but I would say the tax consciousness is probably the number one sport in America. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a Donald Trump fan or not, you know, I mean, he called it a sport. (laughs) I think arguably it is a sport. I mean, just think of it, right? So, I mean, the Wall Street Journal is a a business entity. you know, they they obviously they obviously do pretty well. In fact, even I pay them monthly to have access to it. But I mean, the point is that to have like a dedicated section, yeah, taxation. That's I mean, this is not aimed at tax accounts. This is like on the retail level. Yeah, no, I think I think what is it? Richard Rubin's editor of the tax yeah, section. Richard Rubin as well. I mean, these these are you know, shout out. I think these are great writers. Yeah. No, f- f- fantastic writers. And you know, um, there's got to be an audience, right? And that's the point. Uh, that's very true. You know, I was reading, I was reading an article in, in Bloomberg the other day that was saying that, th- that the IRS is outgunned when it's fighting, when it, when it has to go up and audit wealthy people, you know, multinational corporations that that they just don't have the manpower or the expertise to go in and effectively, you know, audit these guys and, and try to challenge them. That, you know, they just, that the, the, the big companies just have such talented people and so many resources that the IRS is just no match. Well, I, I think that's probably true, but wasn't this part of the, you know, I was watching the Senate finance hearings last winter, you know, there was one on the whole taxation of partnerships, right? And I think that, you know, part of the part of the discussion was that the, you know, the whole issue of taxation of partnerships is not that it's so complicated, but that it's so, uh, you know, easy to hide what's going on, you know, and the way that the stuff is reported that it was almost impossible to audit, right? Yeah. So what was interesting was that the proposed changes, as I recall, included, maybe not only, but included a provision just to make the, you know, the treatment of the stuff more transparent to make it possible to even audit the stuff. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, there was, I mean, one of the things that, that I had noticed was, you know, apparently what they wanted was some very in-depth reporting on some extra forms that were going to be part of the schedule K-1 um, to report foreign transactions and income and taxes and all that kind of stuff. But apparently it was just so overwhelming um, that the industry basically said, we, we, we can't comply with this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I have to get the stuff through, but I mean, but it really reinforces your basic point is that, I mean, I think on one level, sure, the IRS will never have access to the, you know, talented tax lawyers that are available in the private sector. But, yeah. you know, more to the point, I mean, some of the stuff is is just impossible to get a clear enough picture of what's happening, right? Yeah. But I think, you know, avoid, avoid I mean, avoidance has become a, a multi-billion dollar industry. I mean, this is what the big four accounting firms live for, the big law firms. I mean, there's there's an enormous industry. I mean, it's so it's so deeply rooted at this point 
that there are entire, there's an entire multi-billion dollar industry devoted to it. We are, and it's called tax planning. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's called, interestingly, tax planning. Yep. But yeah. I think that it's rude. Uh, you know, this, in, this industry exists because people just perceive the tax laws as so fundamentally unfair. 100%. Well, so fundamentally unfair that if they don't take proactive steps to avoid the stuff, they're going to be taxed extremely unfairly, right? Yeah, I mean, they're going to be taxed into oblivion. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, well, look, a lot of times it's not even making the money, right? That I mean, sometimes making the money is the easy part. It's the keeping it so goddamn hard. Making it is much easier than keeping it. Yeah. I think. Yeah, interesting. All right, well, let's, let's call out for lesson 16 today because 17 is just so related to this that I, this might be a good moment to break and pick it up with our next lesson. Looking forward to it. Oh, and, and as always, how, how would people get your expertise for avoidance? <laughs> you email us at info at esquiregroup.com and check out our website at esquiregroup.com. Uh, that's great. Thanks very much, Jimmy.